Jesus sings. The king sings. Jesus even sang as he closed out what we call the Last Supper. Jesus even sang, Jesus especially sang, as he looked from the upper room in Jerusalem toward what was coming, toward what he knew was coming. On the east side of the Mount of Olives, within what the rabbis considered to be the precincts of Jerusalem for purposes of Passover observance. Jesus was going to be on the east side. He wasn't going to go all the way back to Bethany. He was going to be in a a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, the one who would turn him over, Judas, would bring the mob to arrest Jesus. And Jesus was going to go from Gethsemane over the next few hours all the way to Golgotha, to the cross, to die for our sins. Jesus knew all that was coming. And there he is singing. The king sings. On what he knew by immediate and human standards was fast becoming the worst night of his life. And on what he knew was an evening that was leading into what would be the worst day, in one sense, in all of human history, in all of cosmic history, in all of divine history, worst immediately on the face of it, the kind of suffering he would have to undergo, the Holy One, the very Son of God, bearing our sin, all our sin. He who was without sin became sin for you for me. (laughs) That's what he was facing, and he's singing. He's singing. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to be with Jesus? Well, you better sing, because the king sings. Let me ask you another question, kind of related question. Do you want to be in heaven? Pretty much everybody I talk to says that. Guess what they do all the time in heaven? I mean, it's very apparent in the Bible. What are they doing all the time in in heaven, in the Bible? They're singing. Heaven is full of singing. The heart of the king is full of song. Today, we're going to focus on singing as we dig in, in one sense, with one little bitty verse, but then we're going to span out to some quite a bit of other scripture. Sing to the Lord. You know, from Psalm 100, verse 2. Psalm 100, the second part of verse 2, does not say, you know what, if you're pretty good at singing, and you're in a good mood, and everybody else around you is singing, just go ahead and sing too. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, by the way, if the mood strikes you occasionally, come into God's presence with singing. But otherwise, I don't know, maybe complain some, uh, talk about your ailments as you come before the Lord. Is that what Psalm 100 says? No, it is a direct command. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. When we come into the Lord's presence, this is a command. We are to sing. Drag in, you know, hey, it's Sunday morning, the bulldog's lost, and it's kind of a rainy. No, no, no. Sing. 
Sing praises to the Lord when you come into his presence. It's a command of God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Well, okay, let's go ahead and deal with some of the objections. I don't sing. Again, let me ask you, brother, sister, you want to be with Jesus? Are you interested at all in heaven? Singing is at the heart of Jesus and heaven. Now, you know, I'll talk to people who say, well, I just don't sing. I don't like to sing. It's not my thing. And these are the same people who, when they wanted to join a fraternity or sorority, would basically put on duck suits and walk through mud or whatever they needed to do to get into that fraternity or sorority. If they wanted to be on a football team, they would listen to a coach who yelled at them right and left and, and, and dragged themselves in all kinds of contortions and put on all kinds of silly outfits to play football or, to, or to, to be on the cheer team or whatever their thing was. Man, I'm telling you, you as a human being can and will stretch and grow and adjust what you like to do if you're at all interested in doing something and being united with something. I'll have folks that say, well, you know, I don't really like to sweet talk, but all of a sudden they fall in love with somebody, right? And they're romancing that person and they sweet talk. Hey, look, are you interested in Jesus? Are you interested in heaven? Are you interested in the king and his kingdom, which is what the gospels are all about, what the gospel of Mark is all about? Okay, now let's go ahead and and get to another objection. I cannot sing well. You don't understand, Martin. I just, pastor, look, I'm just not good at it. I mean, people would be upset if I sing at church or if I sing loudly. That's why you'll probably notice, somebody will tell me, when everybody else is singing, I'm the one that's just kind of whispering or mouthing the words because uh, my, my brother or my sister or my wife or my whomever has always told me that I don't sing well or I don't think I sing well myself. Let me ask you this. Parents. Oh, oh, and let's go ahead because we have several grandparents here. Let's go to grandparents too on this. You, you get a two- or three-year-old who starts singing, Let's just say, I mean, you may have a really precocious two- or three-year-old in your family. Some of y'all do. But let's just say the two-year-old or three-year-old is singing off-key and messing up the words. But she or he is singing joyously to you. Mom, dad, granddad, grandmom, how's that singing sound to you? It's beautiful, right? It's perfect. Because you see the heart and the heart that is being presented to you in that song. So, um, would would you ever, Grandmom, would you ever say, be quiet, you're not good at singing to that three-year-old? No way. Guess who your father in heaven is when you believe in Jesus? God himself. God sees your heart, and just like a daddy who loves to hear his little girl or his little boy sing, so also God thinks it's beautiful when any of his children sing. And let me give you a warning. You never, ever, for your own sake, believe me, you never tell the child of God that he or she can't sing. Don't do it. You don't want to tell that the God 
in God's hearing. You can sing in a way that the Lord, whatever the joyful noise you're making is, <laughs> sounds beautiful to him. So, some overview points here on singing. First of all, to sing joyfully to the Lord is obedience to God. It's obedience. It's being faithful. And by doing it, we're being faithful and loving children. See, part of the thing is, unfortunately, some folks, you know, as we get to be whatever we think is old, you know, whether that's 8 or 10 or 15 or 25 or 55 or 85, we're like, well, I'm not a kid anymore. You are a child in the eyes of God. And you will be an obedient and faithful and loving child if you sing praises to him all the way to the grave. That's what he commands you to do. To sing to God our Father with faithful hearts. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 17, let me read this to you. You can turn to it, and then uh, we'll talk about a little bit about this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, let's unpack just a little bit of this passage. Obviously, this could be a whole other sermon, but let me just hit a couple highlights from here. True Christian singing gathers us in his name. May you, can you, should you sing when you're by yourself? Absolutely. But is that the only way you should sing? No, just like you should not be praying or witnessing or ministering by yourself. You don't worship by yourself. It's it's great if, if we're confined to the home because of COVID-19 if we're watching on the broadcast right now. But, but, but big picture, you need to understand, we all need to understand we're part of the body and we want to be coming together when at all possible to sing praises to the Lord together. So this is the context of Colossians chapter 3. This is the context of that entire letter. Paul is talking to a church that is supposed to be together as the church. And so he's speaking in, in, in second person plural here. Let me make that clear. Uh, these commandments are to us together as the body. So we gather in his name, we rejoice, and we witness with each other. And notice this, we admonish, we warn and redirect, and let's just say positively encourage in the right way one another through singing. little side marital counseling. If you have something that is a little bit challenging to say to your spouse, consider singing it. The scripture commands this, actually. We're supposed to sing psalms and spiritual songs, you know, when we, when we have something that may be a little bit challenging to say to someone we love. And, and then, bigger picture here, this is a means of grace. Singing is a means of grace that God has given to us, leading into and flowing from spiritual peace and power that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Colossians 3, 15 through 17 is talking about in the the context of a larger passage here. God uses our singing 
to root within us the word of God. You go back and look at that. Look, look um, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And one of the key ways that the word of Christ can dwell in you richly is if you sing the word. Now, parents, you ought to know this. If you want to teach your children things, and in our Christian ministry, in our children's ministry, we know this, uh, including definitely with preschoolers, but all the way through, and all the way through adults as well. There's not simply one monolithic way to learn Scripture. One of the ways that the Scripture gets rooted into you is when you sing hymns and specifically songs that really incorporate passages of Scripture. You will remember, just like your three-year-old will remember, a lot more of Scripture if some of it is ensconced in and enlivened in song. And that's exactly what Colossians, this is what Paul is talking about. Let the, the, the word be rooted in you, including through singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, to one another. Singing God's word or faith-based songs. That's what we're talking about, by the way. I'm not talking about seeing the latest hit <laughs> that's coming out of California right now. I, what I'm talking about is faith-based, scripture-related songs, and ideally, at the top of the list, songs that are specifically scripture or that highlight passages of scripture. Now, this is a means of grace that becomes very important to us because in times of trial, or when we know we're about to face a trial, or maybe if we don't know. Maybe if it's January 2020 and we don't know that COVID-19 is about to break out, but we, we may not know that, but God is telling us, look, you don't know what's coming, but I'm telling you in advance, you better be singing a lot and you better be rooted in my word and you better have a means of grace at work within you that ministers, allows me to minister to your soul when you face times of trouble, medically, uh, geopolitically, whatever is going on. So singing strengthens our soul. God uses singing to strengthen our soul, faith-based singing during trials and in advance of coming trials. You know, we know this, and it's specifically why I, why we included it in in our uh, liturgy today, our chief end, our main purpose and our main goal as human beings is to glorify God and to enjoy him completely, fully, forever. Singing connects directly with that. A lot of times I'll hear people say, you know, uh, now, if I go to a Pentecostal church or a more lively church, you know, may not hear it as much, but among Presbyterian types and some other kind of more let's just say low-key Protestant types, people say, well, I don't get this enjoying God forever. How am I supposed to do that? Well, I can tell you a key way that you can learn to enjoy God is through singing to him and knowing his blessings coming back to you as the daddy who loves his little child and his little children who sing to him. It also gives a witness to God's goodness and God's joy for us. You know God loves you, right? Sing to him. He loves you. And he receives joy when you sing to him, child, daughter, son of the kingdom. And then um, this is a development off of what I just said. 
Here's another point. Singing in the Holy Spirit, singing truly, faithfully, is spiritual warfare weaponry. Okay? You ever challenge with temptation or the devil? Are you going into that situation armed or unarmed? Well, definitely the whole armor of God, okay, Ephesians 6. But as part of this and part of the word, the sword, okay, is singing. Now, let's just go back to my scenario. So you've got the preschooler, the little child, the little boy or girl singing to daddy. And, you know, the the scripture gives specific instruction about how and not how to take on Satan, right? But even if the devil himself tries to shut up your little three-year-old who's singing to you, what are you going to do? You're going to back down to the devil and go along with the devil and tell your three-year-old to shut up? No. So how much more will your father in heaven if the devil tries to shut up his children singing praise to him, take action. I'm not making this up. This is clearly, scripturally, um, a weapon that God uses, that God gives into the hands of his people. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. So, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The situation is Jehoshaphat is king of Judah, okay? And there's a Transjordanian coalition of Ammonites and Moabites and Meunites from Seir, in other words, part of Edom, one of the tribes of Edom, um, so Edomites effectively, have all decided we're going to take down Jehoshaphat. And we're going to take down, we're going to conquer Jerusalem. And they are coming. This massive coalition from the east is coming at Jehoshaphat and Jerusalem and Judah. And they're all the way to En Gedi, which, by the way, means they're coming up along the Dead Sea. They are clo- they're relatively close to Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat does not have the army to deal with these folks. They are, they are bigger, badder, and stronger than he is. There's no question about it in this situation. So what are we going to do? Well, uh, Yehaziel, you may remember this, who's in the family of Asaph, one of the Levitical musical families. Remember some of the Psalms. If you're with me on Wednesday night, you know this. Asaph is one of the writers of the song, Psalms, and, and he and his family are. Well, one of his descendants becomes a prophet in this situation. And, and he says to Jehoshaphat, don't worry. This battle is not yours. It's God's. And obviously, being from a musical family, you know, he extols the Lord. And then it turns out that some of the Korahites and some other singers sing praises to the Lord. And and then we get to this situation where Jehoshaphat calls all his people together, all his leaders together and their families together. And what's he going to do? What's he going to send out? Is he going to send out his version of SEAL Team 6? Is he going to send out special forces to try to deter this massive army that's coming at him? No. What is the key weapon he's going to use? Paying attention to the sermon today, you can go ahead and guess this. What is it? Singing. 
I'm not making this up. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 20, 20 through 23. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they, this is south of uh, Jerusalem. And, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed, SEAL Team 6, no, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire, and they went before the army. They are in front of the army, these singing people. They went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, you're going to hear this one again. You've already heard it in our liturgy today. Give thanks to the Lord. Actually, the expanded version of this, and you see it in all the, most of the hallelujah psalms. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Tov. You know this on Wednesday night if you're with me in Bible study. His hasto, or his hesed, his chesed endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. So, This is what they're saying. So, give thanks to the Lord for his chesed, his steadfast love, endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Apparently, they turned on each other. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. All Judah had to do was sing to the Lord about how his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, you can say, well, yeah, pastor, but that's that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we don't deal with that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah? Let's go to Acts chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail. They have been beaten with rods because they've delivered a, a woman who's a, uh, you know, um, a seer. She's actually demon-possessed. They finally deliver her, her from her demon, and they get in trouble in Philippi. So they've been beaten with rods, and they are shackled in jail, in a jail cell. Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Well, how do you pray in that situation? And I can tell you the languages, by the way, it blends. It's not like they were singing, they were praying and singing. It's actually they were praying and singing. The two words go together, and there's there's no conjunctive there. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, let's look at what's going on here. Paul and Silas were praying, and as I said, it just blends into him singing, because part of your prayer life should be singing, okay? When we come together, part of our prayer life is singing together. Paul and Silas were praying, hymn singing to God. Prasukamanoi humnun, okay? Two go together in the Greek there, in the Greek New Testament, the way it's written by 
Luke. They were hymn singing. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think they were singing just one hymn very quickly? No way. They were hymn singing. If I said we're going to have a hymn sing out at Robinson Lake, would you expect to show up and we're going to sing maybe one verse of one hymn? No. So what I'm trying to teach you today is actually it's an unfortunate translation, which I'm going to get back to, back to uh, Mark 14. It's not like Jesus saying, well, let's just do one hymn real fast, maybe one verse or whatever. It's not they sing a hymn. That's not the way the Greek is actually written. There is no object and there is no indefinite article there. So um, anyway, so Paul and Silas are singing hymns. They're singing praises. If you're going to sing to the Lord, sing more than one song, please. I know we're real kind of tailored down in worship a lot of times in our church, but man, when we actually get together to sing to the Lord, and when you do it in times of crisis, you need to have more than one song going up to the Lord, okay? If you're in jail, having been beaten to near death, and you're in shackles, sing more than one song, and I hope you know more than one song to sing to the Lord. So they're hymn singing. And the, and the prisoners are listening to them, and all of a sudden this earthquake comes, and they're all released. And you may remember the rest of the story. Paul and Silas do not escape. They stay and bring the guy who's in charge of the jail, the Roman soldier who's in to faith. And the Philippian jailer and all his family, including apparently everybody of all the different ages, are baptized that night. So that's Acts 16. So back to Mark 14, as I indicated having him sung. That's the better translation there. I know it sounds a little awkward, but that's what we're talking about. Virtually every English translation says having sung a hymn, and we hear it in English, and it confuses us. We think, well, I wonder what one song that was, and I wonder if they sing one or two verses. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. So what was the king singing that night? It's Last Supper. It's a Passover Seder, and in the Passover Seder, what you do is you go to the Egyptian Hillel, which is also used in the other major pilgrimage feast, okay, as well as Hanukkah, and is used with the Amidah as well. But that being said, it's really important for Passover because Passover celebrates deliverance out of Egypt, and Psalms 113 through 118 are known as the Egyptian Hillel, the Egyptian praise, looking back to the Exodus and what God is going to do in the future. So you sing psalms 113 and 114 before the dinner and you sing psalms 115 through 118 after the dinner okay so what i just told you indicates i wonder what jesus was hymn singing or praise singing well i can tell you at the core of it would have been psalms 115 through 118 after the meal before they go out to the Mount of Olives. So here is Jesus facing Gethsemane and then Golgotha the next day, the cross. He's going to die on the cross. What is Jesus singing? Well, let's just look at a few of the highlights from Psalms 115 through 118. Some of this is going to sound familiar to you. And I can tell you, if you don't have a tune yet for Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You need to get attuned to that. You can use Paul Silver's. I mean, I've used his. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You know, that you, you need to have something. You gotta, you, unfortunately, our hymn books are kind of deficient on this, but we, we got to have some music to this. So anyway, Psalm 115 verse 1, and then closing out verses 17 through 18. 
not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your, guess what? Steadfast love and your faithfulness. Now, this is what Jesus is singing. Jesus knows everybody else is going to bail out on him, okay? He cannot trust anybody around him. No human being is going to help him. It's all going to come from God, okay? He's going to die. He's going to be buried. And God alone, the Father, by the Holy Spirit, can raise him from the dead. Verses 17 and 18, closing out the first of this sequence of what Jesus was singing. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time and forevermore. Praise the Lord. How are we going to bless the Lord forevermore if we die? Do you get the quandary there in verse 17 and verse 18? They don't seem to make sense unless God has already inspired in this psalm that is sung by Jesus. And Jesus, of course, knows this, the resurrection. You understand what I'm saying? Dead people cannot sing, but this is a proclamation of faith, but will praise the Lord forevermore. Y'all see what this is saying? Jesus' disciples do not get this. Jesus, looking out to Gethsemane and to Golgotha, already sees the resurrection ahead. Uh, so let, what else did Jesus sing? Psalm 116. Uh, let's just look at a few highlights, verses 8 through 14. For you have delivered my soul from death. I wonder what that has to do with anything. Well, a typical Passover, people aren't thinking about that. Is Jesus thinking about that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a few hours before he dies. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. That's Jesus on the cross right there. You see that? I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Well, that is true. Jesus knows that full well. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. Remember, Last Supper, okay? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows in the Lord in the presence of all his people. Psalm 117, as you know, if you're with me on Wednesday night Bible study, I actually reversed the order on Wednesday night, but I'm going to go ahead and do it in order here. Because, but Psalm 117 is the huge mission psalm. Shortest psalm, but it is power-packed. It's incredible what it's saying. Look at this. Praise the Lord, all nations, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. See, this is not just the Jews. Hey, this, is, this is supposedly a Jewish psalm for the Jews, the people who were delivered out of Egypt, but all of a sudden we're talking about all the nations, praising the Lord. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Not just the Jews, but to all you people, all you Gentiles who are invited to sing this too. See, the steadfast love extends to everyone. This is a gospel great commission (laughs) passage in the midst of this Hallel Um, So anyway, for great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And then Psalm 118. You know this one. I'll just give you a few highlights from this. This is the psalm that was highlighted when Jesus processed into Jerusalem on Sunday to begin the week. Here we got it coming around with real meaning now. Um, And I'm going to invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you to do this as a response. Yep, see, we got it up here. We're coming back to it. Reed did some of this for us to begin with. The Lord is my strength and my song. Notice that. The Lord is my song. 
Did you catch that? The Lord is my song. The Lord is my song, my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Everybody, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. By the way, again, if there aren't any songs in your tent, in your house, we got a spiritual problem going on. Get some songs of praise in there. Okay, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Now, I'm going to continue. I shall not die. You hear this? Jesus knows he's going to die, right? But he's not going to stay in death. And nobody's there with him except his father has given him this word, right? I shall not die, but shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. Indeed, he will on the cross for our sin, not for Jesus. Jesus is righteous, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter them and give thanks to the Lord. This is a resurrection proclamation. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. Now, everybody, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Now, you know this one, come on now. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You get in a situation where all odds are against you, where you're facing the devil himself, you better know that line. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, and sing it. Ultimately, the king sings. And so today, we can celebrate this. It's prophesied in Zephaniah. I'm going to take you one more place in the Bible, Zephaniah 3. Zephaniah 3 talks about judgment on Jerusalem in the nations. Um, so Jerusalem and the Gentiles in verses 1 through 8. Then verses 9 through 13, the conversion, surprising turn here, the conversion of many of the Gentile peoples coming to the Lord in humility instead of arrogance. I wonder how that's going to happen through Jesus, of course. And then 14 through 20, the coming of the king of Israel, God himself will come. How's he going to come in person? Well, of course, we're talking about Jesus. And in the midst of that, we get the incredible news of his grace. This is Zephaniah 3, 14 through 16. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. You got to sing with your heart now. Rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, in other words, the Lord himself, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. Now listen, everybody paying attention? The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The king sings. The king is going to sing you into salvation. And the king is going to sing you home to be with him. 
sing with him, sing with your king by heart and enjoy him forever. You hear the good news? Let's start singing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.